I'm watching my kids get frustrated, they often will figure out solutions for themselves. And just being there, sitting there, that's that limit again, right? Like you are, you're that beautiful fence of love, right? The invisible fence of love around them that's supporting them, but you're observing them figure things out for themselves without having to jump in and fix everything or, you know, wipe it all down with positivity. Like I think it's just, but it comes down to our ability to sit there in the discomfort of their discomfort. Right. And you know, so much of that is just awareness of like, okay, what's coming up for me right now? Am I just trying to like help them feel better? Am I uncomfortable? And there's so many little things that need to go on in the head. (laughs) you know, it in the heart. But yeah, so much of it is just sitting in another person's discomfort. It's really hard for people. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50 plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Sarah Ezrin is a world-renowned yoga educator, content creator, and mama based in the San Francisco Bay Area. She is the author of The Yoga of Parenting, 10 Yoga-Based Practices to Help You Stay Grounded, Connect with Your Kids, and Be Kind to Yourself. Sarah loves guiding people along their wellness and parenthood journeys. Her words, classes, and social media are supportive healing spaces where people can feel seen and heard. Welcome, Sarah. I'm so happy to have you here today. 
Thank you, Erin. I'm so honored to get to sit with you. Thank you. Yeah. So I was looking through your book, which looks just amazing, by the way. Really exciting. And I just think there's going to be some really great stuff that you're going to have to share with the audience today. So I want to start with just some basic questions because what I think is so great is when we think of yoga, we think of poses and we think of breathing, which is great. And it is a part of yoga, but the yoga of parenting is about so much more than just that. So share with us a little bit, just overall, what do you mean by the yoga of parenting? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. It's actually a little bit redundant when you look at the root of the word yoga and what yoga actually means on a grander scale. So Sanskrit is an interesting language, right? And and it's from the Sanskrit language in that it's not like one word describes one thing. It's often one word to describe many different things all within different areas. So, you know, there's one word to describe something for mathematics, for astronomy, for astrology, and on and on it goes. And when you look at all the definitions of yoga in those ways, yoga is the word used to describe a marriage. It's the word used to describe a sum, like in arithmetic. It's the word used to describe an astrological conjunction, the coming together, which I don't fully know what it means, but I know that it means it's like a coming together of planets or stars. Um, Definitely not an astronomer. But when you look at all those things, you know, you take a bit more of a macro view, we realize like all of it is about unity and uniting and connection. Parenting is one of the ultimate acts of connection. So the yoga of parenting, it, you know, it, it, it's, I mean, I'll be fully honest. I think it made for a good title, but I, I actually think it's kind of redundant. I think parenting is yoga. If I had to redo it all again, I would probably say parenting equals yoga, but you know, the yoga of parenting rolls off the tongue a little better, but I think it's all the same thing. It's really, how are we connecting? How are we unifying with, in relationship with others. And whether that's, you know, in this case, it's our children and that's the parent-child role, but, you know, even relationships with romantic relationships, friendships, colleagues, you know, all of that can be a form of yoga. That's really beautiful. I didn't know that. So I learned something today. (laughs) I learned this from other, you know, master teachers and the person who describes it, I always want to give him credit for it, is Dr. Lauren Roche. And he writes about it in the Radiant Sutras. So he's a Sanskrit scholar. And I mean, it's it's always really cool when you look at etymology of words, right? I mean, I just love that kind of stuff. I do too. I'm kind of a geek. So (laughs) I find that stuff awesome. So what made you want to write this book? So I had a great pregnancy with my first. I had a very, very tough postpartum period. I didn't know at the time that I had postpartum anxiety and mild postpartum depression. It was moderate to severe postpartum anxiety, you know, pretty much debilitating me every day. And so I was seeking answers anywhere that I could without fully being aware, you know, of why I was searching for them. So, you know, in my anxious state, in my frozen state, I would, you know, I would panic and go to podcasts or books and I read everything. And what I found was most of the parenting books out there left me feeling worse. My anxiety was tripled because so many of them were like, you must follow this script. And if you don't say these things in this order, then you're going to mess your kids up for life. And like, it was just, it was just perpetuating how I was feeling. And then I did find some books that were more mindful parenting, which I loved, but mindful parenting and mindfulness is from the Buddhist perspective. So I was like, where's the yoga of it? You know, where, where is the concepts that we learn that I talk about on the mat every day? Who's applying this? 
So I decided, you know, obviously my son was only a year and a half at the time. I I didn't even know I was pregnant with my second yet when I first had the idea for the book. But I was like, let's go to the experts. Let's go to master teachers. Let's go to Sanskrit scholars. Let's go to psychologists. Let's go to all of those people and combine all of these resources together. So I took modern research, you know, brain research and ancient yoga philosophy and tied them together. And I brought in parenting experts and yoga teachers who are parents and I tied them all together. And I, I just put it all together into this little resource book because I wanted a resource that made you, left you feeling good and empowered and, you know, kind to yourself, which of course is that last part of the subtitle. Wow, that's really powerful. And I wasn't planning on going here with this interview, but that's why I love this because you just said so many things that are really rich. So I wasn't diagnosed with postpartum anxiety, but I'm sure I had some. I did tell my doctor about it. He just tried to give me some medication and medication has its place and that's fine. But I wanted to learn how to deal with it from the inside out and not just take medication. So if I was going to take medication, I wanted to at least try some strategies first and work on those. And then if, if I still needed medication and he's, you know, not a psychologist, of course, me coming from a psychology background, I was like, this isn't really the approach I want to take, but I had never dealt with in my life. Like I tried so hard to get pregnant. I was an older mom. And so, and I had a miscarriage before my first child was born. So when this child came into the world, I was so anxious about his survival that it was just like checking locks and windows and afraid somebody was going to take him and making sure he was still breathing in the middle of the night. And it just so I just had a ton of anxiety that I definitely dealt with as a, a new mom. And then I'd love to hear you talk more about reading other parenting books and how they made you feel worse. And the reason I want to dig into this is because I want to know as someone who does a lot of work with parents and gives a lot of content to parents, because the last thing I ever want is to make anyone feel worse. I want to leave them feeling empowered. And I think that's really, really important. And, you know, obviously parents who are coming and they're seeking resources, like they're looking for answers and they are, they're trying to do their very best. And so I just think that's so important to be able to offer that perspective and offer tips and tools without making people feel like, oh, I didn't do it this way. Or did I screw up? My parents ask me that a lot. Oh, did I screw up? I'm like, no, you didn't screw up. You know, there's plenty of time. There's plenty of time to reconnect and to fix and to change patterns. And, and so I'd love to hear you talk about that. Well, first, I just want to acknowledge your miscarriage before your first, because I had a similar experience and, you know, it's in the book. I I talk about this too. It's like, at what point do you become a parent? Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we assume it's when, you know, you're a child comes into your life, whether it's in your body or, you know, they come into your home. But I think it's when the desire gets sparked and for people that experience loss, there's very real grief that comes alongside of that, you know, and then that feeds into the experience of the first baby 100% or secondary, you know, loss and secondary infertility. So I just wanted to honor that because I do think that also informed my experience for sure, you know, where my second was kind of a do-over, which was lovely in a different way. But I think you said it right, which is, you focus on the repair of it. Now, here's the thing, right? I don't claim, I'm not a parenting expert, right? I'm a longtime yoga teacher. I've done personal work since I was eight years old. I'm 41 now. You know, I studied psychology. I was getting my MFT. I have all of those backgrounds, but I'm not teaching behavioral, 
things in regards to parenting. What I am teaching are connection activities for us to do for ourselves so that we can tap into the intuition of our deeper knowing. And that's, you know, I think a little bit different too, is like you're coming at it from a totally different uh, background and, and you do have tips and tricks and things that, you know, you know, work and, and things that have been studied. So, you know, you are coming in with like, okay, we'll try X, Y, and Z. But what I think you did great, even just in your example to me, is that you said, well, it's okay if you mess up, right? Because the repair is, is it its own opportunity on the other side. And whether it's the repair of, you know, going X, Y, C versus, you know, Z, or it's the repair of, you know, having a disconnect of some kind that you're encouraging the, the cleaning up of the mess of the other side, that that actually becomes more of a learning experience than trying to have everything neat and perfect to begin with. So I think tips and tricks and, you know, all of that is essential and important. But I also think what the books were lacking, at least what I found they were lacking, and what I loved about mindful parenting, conscious parenting books, is that it's giving you space to find your own answers in a lot of way. So it's like, here's a couple of different ways to do it, but like, what's your gut telling you? Because I'll tell you, one book is going to work for one of my kids. The other book will not work for my other son. So <laughs> how do you know inside of you that, yes, okay, maybe this is a best-selling book. Maybe this person's on every podcast ever and, you know, is amazing and, and you appreciate them and it feels intuitive, but then with your second son, it doesn't feel intuitive at all how do you know when to, to change course and what's going to work for you? Yeah, I love that. And it, there's so many different layers and ways of connecting. And so having that whole understanding of what connection is about and digging into that in different ways is so great, which is what's great because you offer another way, a different way of connecting that helps kind of fill in the whole picture, which is beautiful. I tell this story, I've told it several times, but it really plays in here. When my son was like two and I was starting to do some discipline with him and I had twins also. So it was like just chaotic and I was using timeouts and he wouldn't stay in timeout. And I put him in timeout one day and he just was testing me and pushing the limits. And so I put him in there and I'm in there and I'm practically sitting on him to keep him in timeout. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, this kid is not learning a thing. And I'm not getting things done that I need to get done. And, you know, at best, this is just a waste of time. And at worst, I'm potentially damaging this relationship in the long term, but I'm really ineffective at this moment. And so um, then I had to figure out how I was going to parent in a way that felt good to me, that felt like I was supporting him as a soul, as a human, as, you know, in his growth and in his potential and that I wasn't just letting him run amok either. And when I first kind of had to let go of that, a little bit of authoritarian style of discipline, like you're going to sit here and be quiet and think about what you just did, which sounds so ridiculous now. I felt like I was sitting in the middle of the ocean in a kayak, like with just, and I didn't know which direction to go. Like I was just, I'm like, I'm sitting out here floating and I don't know where to go. And I had to figure out where to go, which is really what you're talking about, like your intuition. And then I started reading about positive discipline and that's what really connected with me and helped me parent in the way that really felt good to me that would build my children and build the relationship and that connection, which ties right into the yoga of parenting. <laughs> well, it's also why I, I love your podcast and I love positive discipline as well is because, you know, we're positive limit setting, right? It's like you can be in a, in a lifeboat, right? In the middle of the ocean, 
and not sure where to go either. That's the complete opposite end of the spectrum, right? Where people end up going on the permissive side where it's just like, okay, anything goes because it's so uncomfortable to set limits. But what you're talking about is the sweet spot, right? And what, what positive discipline is so good at and what your podcast is so good at teaching people is the combination of the right amount of limits, the right boundary, but then the space within that for changes if necessary, connection if necessary. You know, and sometimes it's like we have to toggle on either side of the spectrum to find that middle place for us. But absolutely, I mean, you know, I, I think it's finding the right amount of, okay, you know, there are rules in this household, but like I let my son have a chocolate yesterday at like 10 a.m. I don't really want him eating chocolate at 10 a.m., but we were, you know, we were at Target and he saw the chocolate and I was like, you know, it's like, it's okay today to do this, right? I mean, yes, I paid for it afterwards, but you know, you don't want to be too harsh where, you know, there's no room for connection and you don't want to be so loose that there's no boundaries. It's finding that middle ground, that authoritative path. Yeah, (laughs) so true. So I want to get to some stuff in your book because it is just so full of some great wisdom. So I want to start with the first chapter. You say to raise a life, you need life force energy. And this is, oh my gosh, like so true. Like couldn't be more true because you can't parent from a space of just being completely depleted. So tell us about that. Well, so the yogic word, right, is prana, which some of you may have heard, or you may have heard chi, right? There's there's many... I've heard it in reference to breathing. Yeah, there's many different words for like your vital life force or just simply energy, right? That's what we're talking about. It's just a long way of, of talking about energy management. And how do you have energy to supply others if your energy tanks are completely empty? And what I really wanted to do, you know, as it being the very first chapter was to establish that none of these other things are going to be possible. None of these other, you know, lessons, if you will, or inquiries, I prefer, I prefer the word inquiry, are even going to be possible if we're coming into this completely empty. And so what are the things that we need to do to fill ourselves up? And, you know, asking ourselves that question can be really uncomfortable, you know, uh, especially, I mean, as a woman for me, as a woman and a mom, I have so much guilt around needing to fill my tank and needing to do the things that I need to do for me. But I have to remember that unless I have things in my reserve, and these are literal, like I think of them like tanks, like gas tanks, you know, different types of gas tanks, then I don't have anything to be giving my children. Or if my cup is completely filled with other people's stuff, right, then I have no room to to be able to contribute anything to that or I'm just spilling over. Hmm. And there's, you know, it really comes down to the energy management and the, and the boundaries of it. But in yoga, we use the term prana. The breath is one of the conduits to it. Okay. But prana really just means vital life force. But yeah, breathing is like your number one. That's going to be your number one gateway if that's comfortable for you is, is just even taking a breath. And like, I, I don't know if anybody can tell, but I don't think I've inhaled in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> I just live on an exhale. That's what I do. I give and give and give, and I can talk for a long time on my exhales. But then I like, right, I have to remember to inhale. And uh, that's such a metaphor for our parenting too. It's like we give and give and give and give. Well, when are we pausing and taking in for ourselves? And that's such a, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost an archetype, I think, for moms, for women and moms is, Mm -hmm. you know, the, I don't know, like the good moms are the ones that just like 
give so much of themselves all for their children, which is so unhealthy, like so codependent, so unhealthy and so toxic. And it, it's really not a good model, but that's what we feel like we're supposed to do, I think. And, and I, I do feel like it's changing, but it's just been this like give and give and give and the big crazy birthday parties and the, you know, the, the activities and it's just, it's the time and it's the energy and it's the money. And we just feel like if we're not giving them everything that we're not giving them every opportunity and that just isn't really healthy for them or for us. And, you know, it's not just, you know, like you said, having something in our own tank is so important for us to be able to give, but it also sets such an important example to our kids about what it means to take care of the self, right? Like they're learning from us about how do I take care of myself? How do I set boundaries for myself? Um, you know, do I give and give and give to my friends or do I give and give and give to my job when I'm an adult? Or is it okay to set boundaries and how I set those? We help them learn that. So I want to share real quick because I have a three and a half year old who's very much like his mom. I'm like, I, I can be extroverted in this kind of an exchange, but you know, when I'm like around people physically, I, if I'm with someone for an hour, I need like five hours of fill up time. You know, it's like, and he's very similar too. And he had a really busy weekend camping with some family friends and, and my nephew Anyway, so the last two mornings, he's on summer break. He's three and a half, okay? So like, I just want, like not 13, even though it's how, you know, when I tell the story and I've gone in both mornings at 7.30, I see him up in his bed and I go in and normally he's like ready to come out and he's like, I'm just gonna be in here and be quiet for a few minutes. And this has now happened twice where he's asked to just stay in his room by himself with no sound machine on, the light's still dim. And he said, because his little brother is obsessed with him and like squawking outside. I, I, I think he's loading up. He's loading up for the day of being home and being around all of us and having to deal with his little brother constantly. And it's really cool to see the boundaries being set at this young of an age. And he would do it when he was younger too. We, we traveled when he was a year and a half and I was pregnant at the time. And the same thing, he, you know, even though he wouldn't be able to ask in an, in an articulate way, I could tell that he needed to be in a dark room, just us, you know, breastfeeding so he could shore up his tank to then go out and socialize with other people. And I feel like he learns that from us, you know, and I have the people pleaser in me. There were times where I would give and give and give, but I'm much more like, okay, you know, it's, it's three o'clock. This is our quiet time or leaving early, you know, when you're starting to feel your energy go down yeah. and I see him and giving him permission, you know, to, to read into that. What, like, what a skill. To, <laughs> it took me 41 years, <laughs> like, you know, right here. He is at three and a half. Like it's, it's mind boggling. And practicing that. It's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Wonderful. This episode is sponsored by, by heart. By Heart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, By Heart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Our blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum, along with broken down, partially hydrolyzed proteins. By Heart is an easy to digest formula. 
In addition to its patented protein blend, our formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. BiHeart is the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. Curious about BiHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. These later years of childhood have been flying by. As a mom, I want to not just be available to my kids during these last years they have at home, but I want to feel good and have the energy I need to keep up with their schedule and my own. So my health is a top priority. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and body back into harmony. You're not alone on your wellness journey. Every customer gets one-on-one support to help you meet your goals. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. A healthy gut positively impacts immunity, mental health, sleep, digestion, and skin health. It helps regulate digestion, immunity against bad bacteria, and improve nutrient absorption. The gut has been called the second brain because it contains more than 100 million nerve cells. It is a vitally important piece to our overall health, both physical and mental. So to make sure my gut is working at its potential, I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense to improve my digestion and nutrition absorption, boost my overall immune health, and help with sleep and stress as a bonus. Head to myeq.com and use code PARENTING for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code PARENTING at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. So then another part I want to talk about in part two, you have a chapter, When Challenges Become Gifts. And as we know, parenthood is chock full of these opportunities, <laughs> the challenges. So let's talk about that. I mean, I wanted to be sure that what I wasn't doing, because this can happen in the wellness world, and I know it happens in the psychology world too, was creating a chapter about toxic positivity, where I was like, every challenge becomes a gift. Because I do believe that there are, that most challenges lead to gifts on the other side. I don't, really subscribe to this, you know, I, having lost my mom to cancer, having, you know, grown up in a family of alcoholics and addicts, like I can find the beauty on the other side of many of these things, but sometimes things are just, you know, I was going to say in a bad word, but S H, you know, dot, dot, Y sometimes, and, and that's okay. And sometimes you're just in it. But in retrospect, if you can take a pause and look back on your parenting journey you see that some of those really challenging times, some of, right? Again, like we're not talking sick kids or losing kids or any of those things, but like sleep regressions, right? Or a a tantrum or a misunderstanding. We were talking earlier about, you know, the repair, you know, having, getting into a fight with your kids. I was distracted this morning. Those moments of challenge that they can actually be opportunities on the other side. And, but sometimes it takes looking back to, to get there. Right. Because like when you're in it, you're in it. And I I use the metaphor of the butterfly, right. The, the caterpillar transforming into a butterfly because (laughs) caterpillars have to literally dissolve to become a new creature. And so when you're in it, you're in it, it's going to be a mess. And and I just, again, I just want to emphasize, like, if you're in it, you know, you don't need to look for the silver lining, like just be in it, cry, yell, whatever. But on the other side, 
a couple days later or a few hours later or a few minutes later, it's really nice to pause and be like, what did I learn from this? What did I gain from this in this moment? You know, using this morning as an example, I was completely distracted. You know, I, we just got back from, I was just in LA doing book launch stuff with the baby. So I wasn't with my toddler, right? He was camping, remember? And, and we had our first morning together and I was just totally distracted and not present with him and, you know, on my phone and just very tired. And then I, I caught myself I apologize. We had a misunderstanding. And so I caught myself. I apologized to him. We grounded together. And it actually made the connection much sweeter, I think, than had I gone into the morning, you know, totally tuned in right away because it was an opportunity. Yeah. Cause we're not perfect. Like we're going to lose our cool. We're going to, you know, say or do things we don't mean. And it's that opportunity of to grow and reconnect after. And as guilty as we feel sometimes about that exchange to begin with, it it creates an opportunity to show our kids how to reconnect, how to apologize. And it actually, I think, does make the connection deeper. Like to be able to, to kind of humble yourself, to show that kind of vulnerability, like it teaches them a lot and, and it really deepens the connection. There were a couple of things I was thinking of while you were talking. Do you know Simon Sinek? Of course. Yeah. Huge fan. Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know Simon Sinek, he's just an amazing speaker and he just, he shares so many deep thoughts. It's S-I-N-E-K, but he did a two hour podcast talking about how people try to go in and fix and try to go in and fix. And he was talking about, he's the kind of friend that he just goes in and he's like, I will sit in the mud with you without trying to fix it. And it's like, everybody needs the friend who's going to come in and sit in the mud with you. So you were talking about like, it's just messier, it sucks. It's like, sometimes we just have to sit in the mud and while we're sitting in it, it really is not fun. So we just kind of have to get through it. And those are those moments. And you don't have to like, you know, I love how you said that to, to not have to like put the silver lining on everything, but just take the time to sit in it, which I just thought was, was really beautiful and just made me think of him when you said that. So much of that, I think, is our comfortability and other people's discomfort and, you know, holding the space for our kids in those moments. Now, of course, you know, I was a teenager. <laughs> I was a very unruly teenager. <laughs> my nieces are teenagers. You know, my friends have teenagers. I see it up close and personally. Maybe, you know, when my kids are older, my tolerance hopefully will remain. But I think when you're sitting with somebody who's having these kind of bigger problems, right? Like teenagers or pre, you know, preteens and into their 20s. You want to jump in and fix it. I mean, that's we're parents, that's our job. But you can start to build up the tolerance, you know, when they're younger of how do you sit? How do you sit? Because especially when you're sitting with older children or even younger children and I'm watching my kids get frustrated, they often will figure out solutions for themselves and just being there, sitting there, that's that limit again, right? Like you are you're that beautiful fence of love, right? The invisible fence of love around them that's supporting them, but you're observing them figure things out for themselves without having to jump in and fix everything or, you know, wipe it all down with positivity. Like I think it's just, it, but it comes down to our ability to sit there in the discomfort of their discomfort, right? And, you know, so much of that is just awareness of like, okay, what's coming up for me right now? Am I just trying to like, help them feel better? Am I uncomfortable? And there's so many little things that need to go on in the head, <laughs> you know, and in the heart. But yeah, so much of it is just sitting in another person's discomfort. It's really hard for people. Absolutely. And especially with kids. And it's just, you know, you bring them into the world and then, I don't know, it's like, I feel like you were supposed to just 
make things comfortable for them. And, you know, you don't like to see your kids upset. Like there's just something about seeing, especially the, I don't know, for me when they were younger, you know, seeing young kids upset because they don't really understand why things are happening, why this thing fell down that they worked really hard on or, you know, or got knocked over by a dog or a sibling or whatever. And it's just, it's really hard to not want to jump in and just, you know, try to build their tower back up or whatever, and just kind of rescue or fix and let them have those, those uncomfortable feelings. It's just, it's really hard to see your child cry and be upset and to be able to sit with that. Even if you are decent at, you know, discomfort, there's something about seeing your child uncomfortable that's very difficult. I think what's wiring too, right? Like there is definitely an evolutionary element to it. You know, we're like, I think if like when my nephew is upset about something, I can be much more distanced, right? Than when it's one of my sons and like, there, it's like a programming thing. You know, you want to, you want to fix, you want to save, you want to take care of. Yeah. And um, sometimes you're having to like overrule that. But I also like when you're, when I'm watching like on these animal shows, there is some distance sometimes, you know, with the mom's quite early on as they're watching the kids, you know, the, like the, the deer fawn figure it out and, uh, the horse pull, you know, get up and fall down. So it's, yeah, I mean, I think we're both programmed yes to save them, but also like, it's, it's really cool to be able to start to kind of pull back and, and let them figure things out in reason. <laughs> and look at that. Yeah. The part of ourselves that is triggered or is struggling with that for sure. I mean, sometimes it's reactions from others right? It's like, oh, if my kids get too upset or has a big meltdown, I'm afraid I'm going to look like a bad parent. I've got to fix this if there's other people around. And then sometimes it's just, if it's just alone with them, it's just, oh, I, I don't like to see them upset. That's really hard to see my child struggle through that. Which brings up a couple of things. You were talking about the opportunities. I was just thinking about a couple of opportunities just throughout my children's childhood. And one of the big ones is I've learned so much about my own feelings and my own emotions, how to manage them, how to regulate them, how to cope with them, how to have adaptive coping, just by teaching my kids, you know, how to work through theirs and how to let them have those feelings and be able to, you know, set those boundaries when I have to about, no, you can't have that right now. And just let them feel whatever they feel about it and let them work through it. And it's just been a huge opportunity for me to learn about my own feelings and working through my own and just sitting in the mud of my own stuff sometimes. And then the other one is communication and staying calm. So, you know, my kids are 12, 12 and 14 now. And my daughter in particular can be very emotional and just very reactive sometimes about little things. I mean, little to me, I know it's not little to her. I understand that. But I've really learned, and I'm not perfect, I still can sometimes react, but to really step back and just like the other day, I don't remember, oh, I asked her to clean a room and I walked in and it still looked horrible. And I walked in and I was like, I, I started to talk to her about, you know, what she had to do in her room and she got really upset with me. And she was just like, I had to work on my room and, I, and I'm, you know, and she was I think she was working on some homework or something. She was actually doing schoolwork. So I didn't really approach it very well. And, you know, I could have just kept upping the ante and just engaging in this battle. And I just said, I can see it's really not a good time right now. I'm sorry that I approached you in this way at this time. Let's just shut this down. We'll have this conversation at another time. And then we did the next day, you know, and then I got to coach her because I was like, how am I going to teach her how to communicate better if 
you know, if she's feeling upset or it triggers her, she needs to be able to say, you know, rather than I did clean my room and, you know, I did spend some time on it and, you know, just getting all upset. So we talked about that and I was able to coach her how to communicate. And I was like, maybe the next time, you know, I said, I know I didn't handle it great. And, you know, and I'm going to do better too. But I think a better thing the next time might be for you to say, you know, mom, I did spend some time on my room and now it's just not a good time. I'm not in a good place. Can we talk about it later? And so I was able to coach her another time when she was quiet about that. Well, that's, I mean, so you nailed it before the story. What a great story, because that is an ex- that's exactly the example of authoritative parenting that we're looking for, right? It's like there was the connection piece. You were attuned enough to her in the moment to know this is not the time to be setting this limit. I'm going to set the limit, right? She's going to clean, you're, you're going to ask her to clean her room at some point, but not right now while she's in a heightened state and you're not going to get in because that'll bring you into a heightened state. And then, you know, where are we going? We're all, everyone's in fight or flight, <laughs> you know, and we all know that doesn't go anywhere, but then also the wherewithal, you know, and obviously you're an expert, but it's like, I think this is just such a beautiful example of like the coming back the next day when things are calmer to have the, you know, the ask a, I, I'm going to revisit this and still ask you to clean your room. But B, in the future, this is what I want to work on together. Like, what a beautiful, I and mean, that this is exactly what it's about. And this is, you know, it goes back to what I was saying about those books when I was reading the books in the beginning of having the perfect script. Well, sure, you can go in and have the perfect script, but then you don't have an opportunity for this, which is, you know, this living, breathing thing. Because you can go in with a script and think like, oh, no, but I have to get her, you know, the, I, it, it must, I must get to the end result, which is to get the room clean. Well, no, that's not the end result. Right. But yeah. The end result, really, it's the opportunity for you to come together as, you know, and for her to have a moment to, to get to be a mature, you know, maturing uh, teenager and for you guys to come together on the other side of it and, you know, to be able to ask what you need from one another, like that that's worth way more than getting your room clean, right? It's that the living, breathing thing that is the mother-daughter relationship or, you know, mother-child relationship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so cool. I love that story. That's what, yeah, that's one of your, (laughs) you got to share that story. That's one of your, (laughs) that's, that's going to be one of your tells because that's like, it's like perfect. That's exactly authoritative parenting right there. Yeah. It's just, yeah, the goal is connection really at the end of the day. It's, and then to get the room clean, but to do it through connection, not through <laughs> like coercion. And I'm going to beat you down until you agree that you have to do what I say right now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I want to go back because you you talked about this a little bit earlier on, and you also did a great post on Instagram about this, where you were talking about setting limits with love. I'd love for you to go into that a little bit more. Yeah. So setting limits with love. I mean, this is exactly what we're talking about. We've already just talked about it, right? It was exactly your example. Uh, exactly. Just follows on, right? <laughs> you know, which is, which is again, having the connection piece, you know, be the leading priority or the, the motivating factor behind any of the decisions that you're making is that ultimately at the end of the day, it's going to be about connection and, you know, how are we doing that? But, you know, the setting limits with love, you know, one of the things that I do want to bring up that I talked about on the Instagram post is like setting limits for yourself too. It's the setting boundaries with other to protect your own energy. Okay. So we talked a lot already about, you know, how do you set limits with love? Well, it's the connection and still having those asks for limits or, you know, we talked earlier, but what about setting limits with love for yourself? And what I mean by that is like, you know, for example, knowing when to say yes and when to say no, 
and how those things are actually swapped because a no is really a yes and a yes is often a no. And what I mean by that is like, when I say yes to everything that's asked of me, who am I saying no to ultimately? Well, who's last on my plate, right? Who's last, who's the last person I'm serving is often myself. So learning how to set limits with love is also being able to say, no, I can't do this right now. You know, no, I can't go to this birthday party. I'm not going to do three birthday parties on a Saturday or, you know, we can go do this, but I'm mama's going to have to leave a little bit early because I need to save my energy for this and learning how, you know, what your own limits are so that you can protect yourself. I mean, it all goes back to energy, right? It's, it's all so intricately tied in and it all goes back to, you know, managing your tanks again. But I, yeah, I see it. The setting limits with love is something that we really need to practice with ourselves, especially. So like some examples of boundary setting, you know, for me that I've been practicing is like going to bed early so I can wake up extra early but that means that our social life is affected, right? It means that my work schedule gets affected because my mornings are sacred and I don't take things, you know, I don't take calls or, you know, do things before 10 a.m. usually because that's my sacred time or the limit setting of like how many things I can do in one day, how long I can spend in groups, you know, because I know at the end of the day, and, and, and again, like my son will want to stay somewhere longer but I can't. So how do I express to him? Well, no, this is me taking care of myself so that we have more energy to give tomorrow, right? At the next birthday party. Because <laughs> for some reason, there's a birthday party every weekend, like three birthday parties. There, yeah. Why? You're in that. You are definitely <laughs> in that. Phase. I will tell you at least, so for us, that's gotten better, but. Oh my gosh, thank you. We don't have nearly so many birthday parties. <laughs> the activities are so crazy. It's literally like multiple a day. I know. Yeah. And then, and thank goodness where I live, you know, cause I grew up in, in, in LA and the birthday parties are pretty, pretty lavish down there, which is, you know, exciting, but here, thank goodness, it's mostly like a park birthday, which I appreciate, <laughs> but it's still, you know, you're still getting in the car. You're still getting the goodie bag. You're still getting the presents. There's still, you know, it's a lot. It's, and it's a lot for the kids too. I don't want them constantly scheduled. That's not my, yeah. you know, so like, again, that's even a, a different kind of limit, right? It's like, how are you protecting their energy and their schedules? Yeah, I want to say I, I've seen a return of, I mean, not for me personally, but just in my neighborhood, I see lots of park birthdays. So I feel like that kind of crazy birthday thing is kind of calmed down. But I don't know, we moved out of LA too, and now we're in San Diego. So maybe it's, it's, maybe it's an LA thing. It was yeah. pretty intense there for a bit. I miss it very much. And I grew up there. So like, please, like I, you know, L, I, I will always say like, I'm both LA and Bay Area. But yeah, it's a very, it's just very different, uh, different, different approaches to the birthdays. Like the one-year-old birthday that was like, you know, the size of a bat mitzvah. Somebody said to me, literally, she said these words. She's like, I love bat mitzvah swag. And I was like, what? What does that even mean? What is it? Like, like I was not giving out like sweatsuits at my bat mitzvah. Let me tell you, I don't even think people got gifts, you know? I don't, so I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm very happy to have a low key park bat mitzvah, bar mitzvah for my boys up here when the time comes. <laughs> I can buy mitzvah swag. Oh my God, that's funny. Yeah, we we missed that boat. Our kids aren't going to get bar bat mitzvah. <laughs> we have too many other things going on. I told my ex-husband, I'm like, if, if, if they're doing their bar bat mitzvahs, that's up to you because I'm taking care of everything else and that didn't happen. So, you know, oh well, <laughs> no big parties. 
Oh my gosh. Awesome. Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I just think we just covered some really fun stuff. It, please tell everyone where to find you, where to find your book. It's a wonderful book. So, so much wisdom. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, I just like, I, I, every time I make a post, I want to thank every single person that I talked to for the book. And it's like, Instagram's like, you can't <laughs> tag any more people, Sarah. Cause I'm, you know, it's like, so, and then all the, the books that you read leading up to it, but thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate like, you know, the acknowledgement and getting to tie it all together when it was such a privilege, but you can buy the book anywhere books are sold. I always say, you know, it's like from Amazon to Target to whatever online. But if you prefer buying books in store, going to IndieBound and then putting in your zip code will show you what local bookstores carry the book. And then if your local bookstore doesn't carry the book, you tell them to order it. They will order it for you. They can just reach out. The best place to connect with me is probably Instagram. That's where I'm the most active. I, I mean, I, I try to be on TikTok too, but you know, it's its own thing. It's its own thing. It's so hard. That's why I have these very long nails right now. But I will tell you what TikTok has done for me. I got, so I got these long nails because they're very in vogue, not thinking about the fact that I have two small children in car seats and <laughs> that I have to unplug them or the fact that I wear contact lenses. But so I, but what TikTok was great about was that I went on and I found all these videos of how to get your kids out of the car seat and how to take my contacts out. <laughs> so very informative stuff happening over there. But no, there's actually a beautiful positive discipline community and, you know, some wonderful psychologists and, and you know, mom parenting coaches and um, mom experts on there. So I, I, I love it. But for me, connect to me on Instagram or my website. And what's your Instagram? handle? Sarah Ezrin Yoga. So and her last name is E-Z-R-I-N, Sarah with an H, Ezrin Yoga on Instagram. And go check out her amazing book. I loved it. It's amazing. Thank you for coming on today. This was so fun. Thanks, Erin. Thank you. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.